0: Sharp,
1: pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: We know exactly what path we're on. We know exactly what actions we need to take. And while that may take more time than some people want it to take, I respect their impatience. It's a beautiful thing and it's important.
3: If tariffs is what it takes to get Mexico to do better on their side of the border, I'm all for tariffs. Trump's not the problem. Mexico's the problem. Republicans are not the problem. Democrats won't vote to change the laws.
1: I want to see security at our border. I'm gonna see great trade. I'm gonna see a lot of things happening, and that is happening. And as you know, Mexico called, they want to meet. Secretary Pompeo is going to be at the meeting along with a few others at are very good at this and we are going to see if we can do something. And now, Stacy Washington.
4: Oh yeah. Welcome back. Guess what? We're going to chat with Peter Van Hoors who is a writer for the Daily Wire and he's got some interesting perspective coming up here. He'll be with us in the next segment. But right now, Yeah, we're going to keep talking about, um, well, the GOP base and the kind of we're waiting for this kind of hit to come through with um, the decision if the Democrats decide to impeach the president. Now, of course, it's fraught with some danger. And I have some audio from the award winning Washington Free Beacon, the editor, Matthew Continetti. I have a little bit of audio from him, but I want to make sure we get to a couple of different things. Um, I mentioned this buzzing of the jet, Um, this this jet. Well, it was a biplane intercept, um, and it happened near Syria. So a Russian fighter jet made a dangerous high-speed pass that, um, that put the U.S. Navy surveillance aircraft at risk during an intercept over the Mediterranean Sea on Tuesday. This is according to the U.S. 6th Fleet. But Moscow said its pilot had actually be- behaved responsibly. While the Russian aircraft was operation- operating in international airspace, this interaction was irresponsible, according to the 6th Fleet. The U.S. aircraft was operating consistent with international law and did not provoke the Russian activity. The Russian jet actually made three intercepts, two of which is deemed to be safe. But it said one of the intercepts of the P-8A Poseidon involved a high speed pass directly in front of the U.S. aircraft that produced wake turbulence and put our pilots and crew at risk. Now, Russia's Ministry of Defense said it had scrambled a Sukhoi Su-35 jet from its airbase in Syria to intercept the U.S. plane, which it said had been approaching Russia's TARDIS naval facility on the Syrian coast. The RIA News Agency actually reported this uh, today. So Moscow, of course, denies that its uh, aircraft acted irresponsibly, as, of course, they would do. Why would they say, yeah, we acted irresponsibly and we had fun doing it or we can't control our pilots because they just hate you so much? They'll never say that. Um, The other thing that I thought was interesting that also has to do with Russia, you know, yesterday we were celebrating D-Day and the landing at Normandy. And what's interesting is the Russians are really upset by Americans and Europeans celebrating D-Day. They say they lost the highest number of people, citizens and and, uh, military troops in that war and that they were the ones who were instrumental in crushing the Nazis, And so they say that uh, when we celebrate D-Day, what we're doing is we're minimizing the impact that the Russians, the Soviet Union had during that time frame. So I was reading a bunch of articles about it this morning and um, I just I really look at it as a, a total it's like a divergence of viewpoints. If you come from a communist country, your viewpoint of everything that happens in the world is so skewed by that communism that you can't really even see or absorb the truth. And uh, one of my favorite, um, uh, oh no, as soon as I say one of my favorite, cause it's a book I've read, then of course the name escapes me. I will, I will get it so that I can make sure and, and share, but it's a series of books that covers that time frame. And one of the things that you learn in there is what the, the reaction of the Soviet Union troops as they marched through the different parts of Europe and saw the prosperity because the Germans, when they fled Germany because the Russians were marching on their country, they actually left their farms and their homes in pristine condition. So it didn't look like they'd fled like, you know, there's clothes and shoes all over the place. Everything was neat and spick and span, neat as a pin. And the Russians, as they were marching through, were marveling and trying to figure out why is everything here so neat? Why are these farms in such perfect order? Who, who lives like this? They couldn't believe it because they were coming from such scarcity under communism. And I guarantee you, this this is what happens when. Look at the Venezuelans. If it if communism ever takes over, if if first it's socialism, socialism is the gateway drug to communism. You get the socialism, you get the killing of millions of of people, then you get basically the erasure of history. You can't have people remembering the good old days before socialism because then they'll never get to communism. So you have to change history, and then. Anyone who says, well, I remember when there used to be stores stacked up, you know, 20 feet tall, there was a place called Sam's Club where you could go in and buy a side of beef for $200. That's where we were over the weekend. We went there to buy some lamb. And while we were in the store, we noticed that there was, it's basically a roast. And you would normally see a roast of this size at a restaurant at a buffet, but you can buy one at Sam's Club to make it home. I don't know. I, I have no idea what kind of cooking you have to be doing to, to this side, it was so big, I would have trouble picking it up by myself, and it was marked $200.50. We saw that at Sam's Club over the weekend. The kind of prosperity that we have here, the kind of abundance, it's so outsized, it's almost unbelievable. And if socialism ever takes over, it will be unbelievable because people will say, she needs to go to the gulag because she keeps lying about how there used to be sides of beef for $200 at the regular grocery store and any person could go buy it. And we all know she's lying because we barely have enough chicken to, to for one family. One one drumstick is more than one family can have. That's the kind of scarcity we're looking at. If we ever let the Democrats usher us into socialism, just look at Venezuela. They're eating zoo animals and pets. All right, let's go to the phones. Um, we have Jacob in Alabama. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for calling the show.
1: How are you doing, my sister?
4: Pretty good. How are you?
1: They had a partly cloudy with a chance of sunshine.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so weird here. We've got overcast, then, then the sun is out. Overcast, sun is out. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, here in Jackson, Tennessee, the sun is out. It's beautiful. You know, it's, it's really great. Um, you know, as you were speaking, um, I think one of the things that I think in, in the body crash, not the body crash, is people forget... Um, in reference to that situation in Plains Virginia, oh yeah, is that we think we know more than God. If God is leading a pastor to pray, how dare you even question something like that, but we have gotten so uh, full of ourselves till so we think we can, um, we can question God, we can do whatever, you know and it's like, wow, I mean we, <laughs> we, you have to laugh. It's almost like a little kid putting on your
4: shoes and walking in it. Mm-hmm. Isn't
1: that cute? But you know, <laughs> it's just a little kid.
4: Right. And they're falling over, but they're just pleased with themselves because they have your shoes on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the most hilarious thing. It just, and, and when you look at it like that, you hear people when they complain about stuff like that. And, I, and then one other point I kind of wanted to make, and this is kind of, I, I ask the Lord, help me say this to you with your right heart. That Black Caucus is hilarious. When you think about, because I grew up in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, and you see all of the protests and the bus riding and all this kind of different things, and you look at that Black Caucus, and you look at today, what happened? I mean, they—I mean, it's like that never happened. It's like they never caught the vision. And they're just like, this I mean, you just have to you just have to laugh for, for, for in, in order not to get angry or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. You say, where is their foundation? I mean, they have no foundation. You got more uh, uh, black kids uh, aborted than uh, been born in New York City. Mm-hmm. You don't see no bus, and parts bus, of Texas.
4: You see... Nothing. Yeah. We see nothing, you know? and we nothing. see a lot of people nothing. justifying it, really just just yeah. excusing it, and I. I I just, Jacob, I I think one thing we have to just hold on to, we, obviously we have to hold on to the truth, but we have to admit, you know, during the Obama years, um, you know, there, I would get negative reactions from people if I said we need to pray for President Obama because he is just like, what is all this? And some people would say, yeah, we need to pray for him or I can't pray for him. My heart is so hard. I can't pray for him, you know, and, and that was just people being honest. That's where they were. And you hope that they would come past that. But President Obama should have, everybody should have been corporately praying for him just to stop some of what he was able to do on behalf of the enemy while he was the president. And now here we have President Trump, and I don't believe President Trump's working on behalf of the enemy, but I know he's a man and he's under constant attack. And any time the body of Christ can join together and pray corporately for him in unison at the same time while they're laying eyeballs on him, that was just an, an amazing opportunity. And I'm just... I know that uh, this pastor, Pastor P- Platt, he's, he's got to be experiencing, you know, he's probably struggling with, do I, did I do the right thing? Do I have regret here? But he did the right thing because if God laid it on his heart to do it, and obviously it was meant to be because why else would the pastor just, he's, he's getting ready to do communion and Donald Trump calls ahead and says, I'm coming to your church This is an appointment he could not run from. What was he going to do? Shut the church down, skip communion, everybody get out of the building real quick so they couldn't be there when when Donald Trump arrived. I saw somebody else say maybe he shouldn't have invited him up on the stage. What good would that have done? Like, can you imagine what the what the backlash would have been if he'd said, well, you can come, but you can't get on the stage, you know, to the president of the United States? I just don't understand these people.
1: We're so caught up in hate, hate, the same hate that, they, that uh, brought about racism in this country. That's a spirit. And that that same spirit is still walking the earth because we really have not come to grips with it. That is a lot of hate. And it will destroy from within.
4: It will. And, it, and it's already taken root in such a way that, you know, families are altered. Friendships have been destroyed. And workplaces have become, you know, it's like the silent minefield. Like nobody, you know, there's certain stuff you just can't bring up because everybody's so on edge. And that's not the way we're supposed to be dealing with each other. But all of those things fall in order when we figure out where we are, when we position ourselves in obedience to God, all the other things fall in order. And so we can keep on talking about how we need to get along. We need reconciliation. We need unity. We need to have less racism, less this, less that we're never going to get in right relationship with each other until we find the right relationship with our father. When we do that, we will see everything else ordered properly and not one minute before. Um, you know, I, I always love when you call in Jacob. Thank you for your, for your comments and for wisdom sharing on the show here today. Thank you. Um, I, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to discount it. I, this is a story that when I saw, cause Paula Bolyard was on the program last week. So, so first of all, We heard from Paula last week here on the program. Paula is the one who wrote this blog post, which includes the prayer that the pastor prayed uh, at at his church, Pastor Platt, and his thinking, his explanation, which there's people who are slamming him. I'm not even going to say their name on here, who are slamming him for giving an explanation. And I'm I'm going to say this. So when a pastor is given something to do from the Lord, and other people don't agree with it and they come against him, it is at his own discretion whether or not to explain what the Lord said go do. Now, I know that's going to make some folks mad, but, you know, that's a you problem. The pastor is not obligated to explain every little thing that he does when God tells him to do something. Now, if a pastor falls outside of the obedience of God and does things that are clearly unbiblical And that 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 is worthy of an explanation. That's repentance explanation. You know, they have to be brought into right relationship. But if it's something as simple as praying for someone else, I mean, if we follow this through to its natural conclusion, that means anybody that I don't like, anybody who's ever sent me hate mail, anybody who's ever crossed me, they're no longer worthy of prayer. And if that's not unbiblical, I have never heard of anything unbiblical before. The fact is. Every person, the sinners, the saints, the ones in the jailhouse, the ones on the sidewalk at three o'clock at night, the ones in the flop houses, you know, basically in bondage to drug abuse and addiction, homeless people, people who live in big mansions who don't know the Lord. It doesn't matter what your position is, where you find yourself, what your surroundings are. Every human being is worthy of having a Christian pray for them. How much less than can the president of the United States be? No, he, he shouldn't have been in the in the congregation. He should have been right up there on stage so that the people could direct their hearts to the Lord on his behalf and intercede for him. It was the right thing to do. Right, when we get back, we'll have Peter Van Voors Stay there.
5: 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The
4: sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving
5: love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, many members of the millennial generation think they're special. At least that is the conclusion of a recent study of college students. One newspaper report on the study put it this way. If you ask a college freshman today who the greatest generation is, they might respond by pointing in a mirror. The study of college students documented young people's unprecedented level of self-infatuation. Psychologist Gene Twenge found that over the last four decades of research on college freshmen, there has been a dramatic rise in self-confidence. For example, they describe themselves as above average in academic ability and in their personal lives. The problem is that there is a stark disconnect between their opinions of themselves and their actual ability. She has found that students suffer from what she calls ambition inflation. As their ambition increases, it reaches levels of unrealistic expectations. She has also found in another study that there has been a 30% increase towards narcissism in students since 1979. The changing culture is part of the reason for this dramatic change. She explains, our culture used to encourage modesty and humility and not bragging about yourself. If someone did that in the past, we call that person stuck up or conceited. Today, the culture often rewards such attitudes and behavior. I would also argue that social media encourages and accentuates this trend. Students posting pictures of themselves on Facebook and Instagram, uploading videos on YouTube, and leaving numerous comments on Twitter receive positive feedback for such behavior. These technologies provide additional vehicles to feed their narcissism. These studies remind us that this generation needs guidance from pastors and parents so that they can apply biblical principles of success, humility, and self-image. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Antisemitism, go to viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. viewpoints.info slash antisemitism.
1: You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on afr.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Hey there. Welcome back to the show. Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And guess what? We have a wonderful guest in store for you right now. Peter Van Voorz, which I'm going to ask him if I pronounce this last name correctly. He writes for The Daily Wire, uh, overall political commentator, and so many other cool things. Peter, thanks for joining us today.
3: Great to be with you, Stacey. And believe it or not, you were actually one of the few hosts that got my name 100% right. So that's exciting. I appreciate it.
4: Oh, I'm so excited because I have butchered many a name here on the show. And sometimes the people don't correct me and I find out later when I'll see them on another show, I'm like, wait. What did he say that person's last name was? Because I've been calling them the other thing. So awesome. That's
3: one for yeah, me. Yeah, I've got I've gotten all over I've gotten all over the board. But uh yeah, Van <laughs> Boris is how you pronounce it.
4: Fantastic. Okay, so you have written a piece over at dailywire dot com. Let me put it up in the um the different streams that we have going so people can read it. So talk to me. It's the title is So Here's Why Mueller's Press Conference Is What?
3: Yeah, so Mueller's press conference, believe it or not, the one that happened last week, is actually going to help Republicans in 2020, and here's why, Stacey. Uh, Democrats so far in the past about two and a half years of Trump's presidency, they have only been in focus on impeachment and obstruction. That's all they've gone for. And granted, that did help them in the midterm, because as we saw, the special counsel investigation was still underway, and the Democrats were essentially able to say, yeah, you know what, Trump's a Russian agent, Don't vote for him. And, you know, I guess some midterm voters did that. But now that the special counsel investigation is over, you pretty much just have two warring sides. You have the Republicans saying, no, there was no obstruction. You have the Democrats saying there was obstruction. And voters are now going to have to decide which party do we go with. Well, here's what's going to happen. The Democrats are focusing all their energy on impeachment, on trying to get President Trump out of office. That will never happen with a Republican Senate. The Democrats would need over 20 more seats in the Senate to do that. So what that leaves us with is Democrats who are going to try and impeach and obstruct, Republicans who are going to try and fight that. But at the same time, we have, Republican, we have a Republican, Donald Trump, in the White House who's going to be able to have a few key victories. They're going to take us over the line in 2020. Uh, that, that's the real stick of it. You know, It's going to hurt for a few months to see this happen. It might be a little bit tumultuous, uh, but I believe that Republicans will come out ahead because of this. Democrats will not be able to focus on policy safety, and we've seen that.
4: I agree with you 100 percent, but I want to play a little bit of audio for you. It's Matthew Continetti, the editor of the Washington Free Beacon. He actually says that the GOP base will be energized if Pelosi caves to the House Democrats on impeachment. But he also cautions against complete, you know, free for all like, yeah, bring on the impeachment because it was the impeachment proceedings with uh, Bill Clinton. They didn't get him on the original reason they were holding the impeachment proceedings. They got him on the affair with Monica Lewinsky. And I guess Continetti feels like there might be something more that could be found out. It's number two.
6: Uh, There's certainly risk because uh, starting an impeachment inquiry can lead to all sorts of places. And you're not we're not really clear what the political effects are. I mean, we always look to the Clinton impeachment in 1998 and we see there that the Republicans were hurt uh, in the midterms in 1998. And so I think Pelosi is kind of extrapolating from that. But who's to say that's going to be history uh, repeated uh, if we go down that road this time. Uh, what what I think the Trump administration understands is that right now, uh, Democrats, uh, the Democratic base is enthused about impeachment. If, the, if Pelosi uh, uh, gives in to the calls for impeachment, well then the Republican base is yeah. gonna start getting very excited as well. And I think right. Democrats look to that huge enthusiasm advantage they had in 2018. They want to repeat that in 2020. Well, if you start down the impeachment path, you're going to have a lot of Republicans uh, very uh, supportive of the president. And you're also going to have some independents who currently oppose impeachment saying, why did we vote for the Democratic House? And all we got was an impeachment no. vote that didn't lead to conviction in the Senate.
4: So what do you think about what he's
3: saying there? Look, I, I agree with his analysis overall, especially the point that Republicans shouldn't cheer on impeachment. It should not be a, yeah, try and impeach us. We're going to get away with everything. I think that's when people tend to get a little bit too uh, brave-hearted in, in themselves, and they can end up kind of hurting themselves. What I would say in terms of impeachment, though, is that it, it's probably not – I mean, it just literally can't happen. Like, as he was saying, you know, the Senate would need a lot more seats. It, it, it would be basically an impossible task. So Democrats are either going to have to say, okay, we're going to make the choice to go impeach and Republicans are going to have to go against that, or they're going to have to say, you know what, we're going to hold off on that. We'll let that kind of be an underlying theme, uh, but we're actually going to have to come up with some policy. And what's going to make the determination is essentially how quickly does the presidential field narrow down and how quickly can we get to two, three likely candidates that have some substantive policy? Because right now what you have is you have all of the Democrats running for office whether it's Pete Buttigieg or Pete Buttigieg, however you say his last name. I, I
4: can't. I, I can't. Don't Beto, even. Beto, yeah. yeah
3: you, you, no one it. can say Beto it right. Cam- oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody can get it. Uh, so you got Mayor Pete, uh, you have Beto O'Rourke, who just came out today and said a couple hours ago, saying that we should expand the Supreme Court to, you know, a gazillion more justices and add term limits <laughs> to it. Basically, you just have Democrats right now competing for headlines. They're just competing for left wing headlines. So if it's just more competing for left-wing headlines, in addition to some impeached Trump, they're just not going to have any policy. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think that Republicans should not try to get Donald Trump impeached. I don't think it would be great to be, like, the third president ever to only be impeached behind Clinton, behind Clinton and Andrew Johnson in 1868. But, you know, at the end of the day, if it happens, Republicans need to fight it tooth and nail. We shouldn't go into it and be too cocky about it, but we should come out of it ahead.
4: So I, I'm, I feel like they're in between a rock and a hard place. It's of their own making, obviously, because had they, you know, just work with me here, Peter, because I don't believe in hypotheticals, but I do believe yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in looking back and saying, wow, I could have and then adjusting. They yeah. could have said after the Mueller report was issued. So we were pretty sure he was guilty. But we have to abide by the findings of the report, because otherwise it means we just spent the last two years singing Mueller's praises for nothing. And we and we were we misjudged his character and we're not going to admit to that. So we go with the findings of the report. We continue to oppose him on the issues that we oppose him on, which is basically everything. And then move towards trying to find a way forward on infrastructure or the border because they need something to run on. But they've made, in my opinion, this really huge it's it's not a, like a calculated error or an accident it's a huge mistake that they've made not letting go of the impeachment talk not basically continuing to say the president has broken the law and he deserves to be impeached because there is no evidence to support
3: that yeah you're i think you're really right on this, face and i think here's kind of a little bit more nuance to it that i would add you you have Democrats like Pelosi who if they're sitting in their war room right now with, you know, her Chuck Schumer, that's what they're coming up with. But the problem is when you have a bunch of individual actors, aka, you know, the thousands of different liberal commentators, journalists, politicos, whatever you want to call it, they're all going out for the headline. So, you know, in today's media cycle, it's all about, you know, who can get the best headline? What's going to be the most interesting, unique take on stuff? So when you have all these individuals trying to be the one to go slay the dragon, Donald Trump, you're, you know, you're not going to go with a policy that works because they don't have – remember, they're leaderless. They don't have a leader. There is no Barack Obama anymore. They don't, they don't have anyone to look to. He's gone. So it's just, it's, it just becomes a race of, of kind of jockeying to see who can get to the top, but it ends up hurting everyone on the left side uh, a lot more.
4: So in that instance and and when you say it ends up hurting them a lot more um, and I I totally agree with you it it does hurt them but what does it do housewise because I don't see any of their presidential candidates having the wherewithal to beat Donald Trump even Bernie Sanders who normally looks very spry he's starting to look worn down to me Joe Biden looks spry but he doesn't even seem to comprehend what he's walking into the buzzsaw of his Shoulder squeezing, hair sniffing, all of that, that Donald Trump is going to meme him into oblivion if he's the nominee. He seems completely unaware that that could happen to him. But so they don't have anybody that I'm like, wow, that's a strong contender to go up against the president. But what about the House? Is there a chance the Republicans could take that back?
3: You know, I. I think at this point, it's just too early to tell. I mean, there are so many races. Look, the margin is not huge. I think the Democrats might hold it between 15 and 20 seat margin right now, something like that. It, it, it's not a, an overwhelming margin that we would need to get over. It would just be Donald Trump would really have to win in a landslide. I think this race is really going to be a down ballot race where people are voting all Republican or all Democrat. I don't think you'll see as much slip ticket this time just because it, everything is a, about national. It's all about Trump. Even local races are about: Do you like Trump or do you hate Trump? That's who. That is what determines who people vote for. So, I really, if Donald Trump can not just win the presidency, but win it by a decent margin, win you know even further in places like Wisconsin and and Michigan, you know, win at least try and make some effort in some of the seats in California. Out here, you know, in L.A. Orange County area, where there are some seats like four or five that flipped from uh, red to blue last cycle. You know, if we're able to do that, if the NRCC puts some money into that, if they see, you know, that it's not going to be a super tight race that, like we're predicting now, Trump is going to not coast to victory but have a decent shot, I think then they might, they might send some more money to it. But, you know, having a Republican House isn't super helpful with a Democrat president because we already have the, the U.S. Senate, which we can use to pretty much block most of what Democrats want to do. Uh, so at the end of the day, our focus should be have President Trump win and then have President Trump win by a lot. So we all went by a lot, and that's going to include all the House candidates.
4: Yeah, I, I think your analysis is dead on. I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because I don't feel like like the, it felt like in the midterm. And I may be wrong, but it just felt like from the comments that he made when he came to Missouri. He came to Missouri twice, and for one of his trips here, mm-hmm. I was actually there at he was he was he was in Columbia at an aircraft hangar, and I went down there and did the three and a half mile, you know, baton march to you know get get into the building and hear him and he said i just couldn't make it everywhere i wanted to go he told the crowd he said i want i wanted to go uh, to a bunch of other house races and support but we we just had a, a certain amount of time and a certain amount of places i could get in the plane and fly to and so i went to as many as i could and i'm hoping for the best result we know we're going to keep the senate and you know we're we're praying for the house and i thought to myself wow he sounds like you know that's a foreboding to me and then of course what what happened we lost the house so Um, if, if there's anything that I'm hopeful for is that, that the efforts can be concentrated to make sure, like you said, in 2016, his coattails were so strong, he was able to drag a ton of, of house members over by sheer, it was just the, the downdraft. Is it possible for him to do that in 2020? That's, I guess the question.
3: I think it's possible, but here's what it's going to take, Stacey. It's going to take you me and every single person listening right now to tell themselves, you know what, whatever difference I can make in my local House race to either keep that seat red or flip it from blue to red, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to do that. And then if enough people come up, we volunteer and we show up like the Democrats do. Yes, we can absolutely win back the House and not just win it back, but win it back by a decent margin. But it's going to take all of us. Republicans need to show up, too. And the more we can all do that, the better chance we have to support this president and get the House back.
4: So the most important thing we can do is obviously supporting and, and all of that. But I'm, I'm also wondering if there's some conversation that goes on in a, you know our person-to-person interactions when people are saying, well, why would you vote for Donald Trump? And we the Democrats actually are not giving a good reason for their people to say, I'm not voting for Donald Trump because I want this program that the Democrats are putting forward or this idea that they've put forward, none of their ideas look any good. Nothing looks workable. Uh, They're all based on assumptions that the CBO and other places have said that that's never going to fly. How are we communicating that to people who are kind of, they feel like they're lost in between?
3: I think we communicate to them that Republicans are the only ones that have the capability and the will to actually get stuff done. Uh go and you know make sure that you're not just listening to the media. Uh, you know, you go and see, cool, what are the specific things that President Trump has done to, you know, help minorities, to help immigrants, to help underprivileged people? There's a lot of, of policies, whether it's tax reform, whether it's criminal justice reform, amazing things that, that he's done that would have been considered bipartisan ten years ago. Speak in common sense language to people, explain to them that you're voting for President Trump because you care about people first and foremost, and I think it'll take care of itself
4: fantastic um well you know what i was so glad to see your message yesterday to um you know prod me to have you on because i i know we were planning on doing that and i'm hoping that you'll have time for us in the future especially since you're right for the daily wire we'd love to have you come on and cover the items that you're covering there and you know give us the commentary it would be great
3: Absolutely, Stacey. I would love to join you again soon. Really appreciate you having me on and we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Take care.
4: All right. Perfect. Peter Van Voors, He's from The Daily Wire, thedailywire.com. I shared the article on um, the live stream so you can check it out for yourself. And I put it up on the Facebook page. So uh, definitely check out his – it's well thought out, well written. And after you've read it, you can kind of – okay. You know, you kind of add that to your arsenal of things you're going to talk about. If if you're discussing politics, it's nice to be prepared with a little something. Uh, so that was fantastic. We are going to be discussing breaking news. It's good news. The president has actually moved to end human fetal tissue research. Now, before folks get mad, the idea here is not that all research is ended. It's that human fetal tissue research is ended. So remember when, this was like decades ago, when stem cell research was a thing, when they would say, and I know it still goes on, but they would say, we need to take the embryos of unborn babies and harvest the stem cells. And so there weren't enough embryos out there. They started off by using embryos that people who had infertility issues would create a group of embryos and they would use them. They would get, you know, have them implanted and have a baby. But they would always make more than they needed, and so they were stored in cryo, cryo storage. And sometimes they would be abandoned, meaning the families would no longer pay for their cryo storage, and so medical researchers would basically receive those and use them for embryonic stem cell research. Well, after that, as they kind of ran out of those, that source of, of places to get embryos, then they started to create embryos. You know, so it's a it's a test tube baby. They create an embryo and then they would use it for stem cell research. So the the baby would be destroyed. So this was something that at the time it was a huge problem. Americans from every political background were horrified by the idea of creating babies for destruction, for research. So what they did was they fought it. And now decades later, we know that adult stem cells are actually the best for medical research. So now we're at a place where we can stop using fetal cells. We don't need them. We can do the research on adult stem cells. We don't, I just don't understand why we keep doing this to ourselves. Um, So we're gonna, I'll, I'll share that news with you when we get back, stay right there.
2: I have two dogs. Sometimes when we go walking, they'll get a sticker in their paw. My dachshund will stop, hold up that foot and just look annoyed because it has slowed her down and that she needs my help to get rid of it. The terrier on the other hand would rather limp along like I'm okay, I'm just walking it off than to stop for me to take that painful thing out of her paw. It made me think, we're like that when it comes to our relationship with God. We either have complete reliance on him and turn to him as soon as we have a need or we go along suffering, trying to fix it all ourselves. I've done both. How about you? There's lots less pain and suffering when you choose to turn to Jesus right away. But maybe you've never made the decision to follow him and don't know how to ask him. This life is much easier to navigate when you're relying on Jesus. If you'd like to find out more, call 888-NEED-HIM or chat with us at chataboutjesus.com.
6: Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk, nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show, over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m.
2: There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways
4: is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called Tune In. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. Giving you the business. I'm Linda Bell with the Fox Business Network. Forget about hailing a cab, renting a vehicle from a car rental company, or even booking an Uber. The peer-to-peer car sharing industry is not only looking to change the way we think about vehicle ownership, but also the way we travel. Peer-to-peer car sharing is the process
2: where someone rents his or her vehicle to another person, usually mediated through an online marketplace. Companies such as Turo or Getaround are two of the leaders in the space. Michelle Peacock, vice president and head of government relations for Turo, says
4: peer-to-peer car sharing is changing the economics for car ownership for those renting out their vehicles. I think this is critical. 27% reports that they use Turo to earn money to pay off student loans or credit card debt. So what we're really seeing here is you know beyond just covering a car payment, but turning a car into an income-earning engine for American families. Giving you the business on Linda Bell, Fox News.
1: This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: I can tell you about a single heart cell, a myocardial cell in a petri dish in a lab at the University of Washington that will beat. All this is is evidence of electrical activity which happens in a myocardial cell. And so I think what the right has managed to do is somehow conflate a heartbeat with a soul or with personhood. And and I believe that if people understood that this is just what a a myocardial cell does, um, that that number, 55%, would probably go up to 73%. That anybody who is pro-choice would understand that that is just a gimmick. Wow.
4: So you're telling me that this scientist, she's calling herself a scientist, she's a democratic rep, she's a doctor, she doesn't understand that myocardial cells that are in a Petri dish that actually beat because they have an electrical synapse, a pulse, they've been, they've been activated, that those are different from cells that are formed together and are growing in unison in concert because they are a human life form in earliest stages of development. She doesn't understand the difference between those two. What she's saying is if she had her child on one side of the table and a Petri dish with myocardial cells in the other... And someone said, which of these two do you want me to zap with 1000 volts of electricity? She'd be fine with them zapping her child or the cells in the in the Petri dish because, you know, maybe no one, maybe she herself or no one of any importance had conferred personhood and a soul upon her child. You hear how ridiculous that sounds? It sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous and it is just as ridiculous as the comparison she just made. Everyone who has a few brain synapses firing in order and good working order knows that you can use outside means to manipulate cells in a Petri dish and that any operation that a cell can make inside of a living human body, you can replicate that outside of the human body in some way if you create the, the proper conditions. She did not answer the question, which is at what point does a, unborn child achieve personhood when does it have a soul as she says and I, I I have a video on my blog that I I found on it might have been campus reform I'm not sure but it's still it's still up where this girl does this parody video of this she calls it the magical birth canal because the birth canal is the place in which a baby goes from because she has a, a baby a, I think it's her child a baby and she has a something she made out of fabric that's supposed to be this birth canal. And it's, it's big enough that she can like hold it. And she says on this side of the birth canal, she's holding the baby. The baby is not a person. It's not a human. It doesn't have any rights. But on after it passes through the magical birth canal, then on this side, it's a person. Pretty amazing, right? The the logical leaps that are, are made, the contortions and the gymnastic feats of of, of bravery and and glamour that are undertaken with which to, to separate a unborn baby from its natural position as a part of humanity. Un- Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, so I promised you Trump to end human fetal tissue research by government, and this one is by the Associated Press, so of course their subheading is a victory for abortion foes. So you guys know, I told y'all a long time ago, and I I keep saying I'm going to have a t-shirt made that, you know, what they do is they'll say, instead of saying you're pro-life, they say you're anti-abortion. And that used to really get under my skin, but it doesn't anymore. Do you know why? I am anti-abortion. Abortion Abortion is a euphemism for killing. I'm anti-killing, in case you didn't know. I'm not anti-self-defense. I'm not anti-war. Just wars are to be waged and won but i am anti killing indiscriminate killing anti murder killing for convenience i'm anti abortion absolutely so um, so if we'll take calls we'll get to the phones in just one second let me just uh give give this info here on this human fetal tissue ban that's going to come from HHS um the call lines are open at 866-963-2037 866-963-2037 So the Trump administration said Wednesday was ending medical research by government scientists using human fetal tissue, overriding the advice of scientists who say there's no other way to tackle some health problems. And this hands abortion opponents like myself a victory. I'll take it. Health and Human Services Department said in a statement that government funded research by universities that involves human fetal tissue can continue subject to additional scrutiny. The policy changes don't affect privately funded research, only the government's research. Fetal tissue is used in research on HIV, childhood cancers, treatments that enlist the body's immune system to battle cancer and the hunt for a vaccine against the Zika virus, which causes birth defects. The tissue from elective abortions would otherwise be discarded. Scientists use it to produce mice that model how the human immune system works. And these are the human, uh, the humanized mice that we were so horrified about last year. We didn't know what was going on. Now we do. All right. Good news. Thank you, President Trump, for doing that. Another good reason why we should keep praying for him. Yes? I, I think so. Keith in Michigan. Hey, Keith, thanks for calling the show today.
0: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was just going to passively just listen to the rest of your show until it closed out. But what kicked me off, what really kicked me off was hearing that comment of, from the scientist saying that the little heartbeat that you're seeing is a mitochondria. Mm-hmm. It's like, for one thing, my wife and I... Went through. I have a 17 year old son now, and she calls him his, her. The kid's 6'5, weighs 260 pounds,
5: mm-hmm.
0: and calls him her little jelly bean because we tried to get pregnant for over three years mm-hmm. before he came along. It was a struggle. We finally went to fertility clinics, trying to get pregnant, finally got pregnant, and it was a big surprise. We went in six weeks, she was six weeks pregnant looked at his heartbeat, and it's like, that is not a mitochondria. I could see the heartbeat beating. Mm -hmm. It was an actual heartbeat going along. And it's like, that is not a mitochondria thing, because I know what that is. My kids have mitochondria disease, and we know that inside and out of what mitochondria can and cannot do. Mm. And it's like, no, that is not. That is a heartbeat, and that is a live Person it was like, "No, you can't. You cannot tell me that's something different."
4: I, I just first, first off, God bless the t- the two of you, what you've been through, and that He's been able to give you children. But also, I really appreciate you calling in and sharing this with us because it, there's nothing better. I mean, the facts are the facts, but there's nothing better than hearing you elucidate that from your own experience. I just, the thing that we're dealing with here, Keith, is evil. And so it, it kind of shocks us and it angers us and it makes us, we're like, wait a minute, that doesn't even make any sense. She said all that with a straight face. I watched the video this morning. I was I was horrified. I was like, I be, what is going on with this woman? It's That's as if horrible. she's, yeah, it is it is terrible. There's no way to really fully articulate the, you you try to understand what she's saying and there's no way to understand it because she's making zero sense when she's saying that. There's one thing, you, you know can put any you salad know what it me
0: church? of? What? You know what it reminds me of is that one thing that is so amazing about my 17-year-old son, he is a history buff. He loves military history, and he's studying. He studied World War I. He's studying World War II. He is telling me the atrocities, the horrible things that the Nazi party went through, and how it developed. So I challenged him. I said, okay. Tell me, research it. Come back to me. Tell me what you, you find. And he came up and he said the atrocities that started, started off very benign, very little. It was like, oh, this is just going to help our society. This is going to mm-hmm. help the German people. We're going to get rid of the unwanted of the, of the, not just the Jews. It just started off with the people who couldn't work. The people right. who were handicapped they were indigent and they made sick, them,
4: disabled yeah, yeah
0: and, and starting off with the little parts of the eugenics and saying these are in these are not humans and it started off with that and then it expanded I was like this is horrible and he said yeah and this is and he sees a lot of similarities of what happened back in 1936 1937 to what is happening today And this is my 17 year old that's discovering this it's like good for you
4: it is great but but again we don't know what what all the good that your son is going to do but people like the lady we heard that democratic rep who said that it you know cells can do this and that in the petri dish and so you you don't assign humanity to a person who's unborn the people like her would say well you know you guys shouldn't have tried so hard to have kids because you know it would it wasn't worth it it's not worth it to go through all of that she doesn't see the value in every single human life. We, we have no idea what amazing things your son's going to do for God. We can just only pray and expect and look forward. The, and that's why we have to fight so hard, Keith. We have to fight so hard to to stop her. Our fight really isn't with her. As misguided as she is and as enraging as her comments are, our fight is not really with her. We're fighting against the spirit of death and the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy That's who we're fighting on this thing. It just, he's working through her. One day she might, you know, we all pray in 10 years, five years, whenever she would be on our side and she would be articulating the truth instead of the lies that she's spreading now. But we have to remember we're not, we're not at war with her because she. She really made me mad this morning when I was I was watching. I was like, I got to put this on the show. And I was just sitting there just mad. I was like, Lord, help me. I got to let this anger go because I, I don't know what's wrong with this woman. And I'm never going to meet her. So I might as well not waste my time and energy being mad. But she's one of many who espouse these views. And your son has it dead to rights. If If we start accepting that some people just should be disposed of, it never stops. And so that's why we have to fight on this thing. And I just... Thank you so much for sharing um, the story of your family, the beautiful way that God has blessed you guys. It's just really wonderful to talk to you, Keith. Thank you. You know, that's just one of the best things about getting a, a chance to do a radio show. It really is. Um, it, it offsets all the bad mail because I don't I don't I don't get hate mail every day by the way. I'm, I hope I'm not. when I talk about it, I hope it doesn't make it seem like it's just a constant onslaught. It's not. In fact, one of the benefits, I was telling a girlfriend uh, who asked me what was one of the biggest differences about being on Christian radio, and I went through all these different things that was different about it and positive, um, but then I said, you know, I get less hate mail on Christian radio. I just do. I still get it, but it's not as much, And um, but what offsets what I do get is when we have callers who call in and share like Keith just did, or, you know, Jacob calling in with his encouragement. He always has a scripture that he shares. I mean, so many others, Kelly, you know, I could just go all the way down the line of people who call in periodically and just bless the show with their, their comments and their, their voice, just calling in and and sharing with us. And I think that really makes, it just makes this job awesome. It makes getting to do this job even sweeter. And I already appreciate getting to do it. Let me tell you, if you, if you knew the time that I have spent praying to get to do this job. So (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm in the land, y'all. I'm walking in it, and I'm enjoying it. I'm skipping over the daisies. It's fantastic. Um, but it, I just appreciate that that is this that that's God's hand right there, where you just don't have any way that you see that you can get the thing that you want—a family—and then you're able to, and then later your child that that same child is sharing what they're learning about just how valuable every human life is. It is just astounding and God is so good so good so excellent so good um, okay let me give you a little preview for tomorrow's show so tomorrow it's going to be awesome because you know how much we enjoy Fred Jackson the news director of American Family News yeah well he's going to be on the show with us tomorrow um, and we're going to get a chance to talk with him about all the stories that will be hitting the wire tomorrow on one news I also want to, if you just tuned into the show, maybe you're catching just the last hour or the last half hour, you missed a great interview with Kendra Knox and she's wonderful. She's so energetic and she is one of the creators, she and her brother, of this beautiful series. It's called Ryan DeFrady's Secret Agent. It's a show for children and it's a cartoon and it has the biblical worldview. So you never have to worry about your kids watching it and being Um, you know, showed anything inappropriate. It also has a little bit of that adult humor in it that's woven in so that you can enjoy watching it with your kid. Um, You can buy episodes seven, eight, and nine and any of the previous episodes by going to afastore.net. And I also want to, since I've got you on afastore.net, I want to point you to the American Family Coffee that's on there. So when we were at National Religious Broadcasters, Miss Madison and I, I was able to get from one of the wives of um, one of the big wigs at AFR, I was able to get some, uh, There's sample packs that we give out to people at the table of the coffee. And So I brought it home and it's been here since it's been here a couple months in the fridge and I pulled one out and I had some, I made it through my drip coffee maker because y'all know me. I drink instant. I also have an espresso machine, a tiny one. It's not, it's not. It's not expensive, but it makes espresso. It makes a nice little cup of espresso. And then I have a drip coffee maker. So I put the American Family Association coffee into the drip coffee maker. And I made myself, um, I think it was six cups so I could share. Because we have one coffee drinking kid. And it was really good. And you guys know I'm a coffee snob. I prefer Caldis. Yeah, I prefer Caldis. I really like a good Italian espresso. But this coffee was awesome. So while you're checking out Ryan DeFrady's at afastore.net, if you feel a hankering to get the coffee, give it a try. I liked it. All right, that's the show for today. God bless from the heartland. Back with you tomorrow. Stacy Washington.